0: Wow, thank you guys, that was really sweet. Yes, uh, it has. Uh, it is seven months, so in case you're wondering. So my uh, second son was born in August, and you know um, on Instagram when moms do that cute thing where they do like the baby every month with like a stuffed animal? We're doing ours with my beard every month, and so we're seeing, yeah. So it's uh, been exciting, I'm so nervous. Five more months is a long time, and uh, it's hard to get upkeep. Um, yeah, guys, my name's Kevin. I am really, really excited to be here with you guys. Um, like Brittany said, I, I'm married. I'm on staff with the Navigators. Um, I have two kids, so they are two and a half and then seven months, which means I have forgotten what eight hours of sleep feels like. Um, and uh, But but really, guys, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about uh, First Peter. Guys, I love that you've been doing this series through 1 Peter. Um, I've been spending a lot of time this year uh, reading and thinking about and just meditating on 1 Peter. Uh, our church is actually gonna be going through it later this year, so I'm I've, I've getting ready for it. And in particular, I love this theme, right? stand out. I love the idea of uh, challenging each other as a group to live differently than maybe what the world might say is normal. And so I figured we'd start there. And just ask, well, what, is that, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Hopefully, you've been thinking about that a lot this semester. But I just want to ask. You know, I haven't been here, so I want to ask. What, what does it look like to stand out? And, and when I think about it, really two things come to mind. I think there's a way in which you can stand out and it, and it be, like, really good and, and positive. I think there's a way that you can stand out and it, it actually not be a really good thing. And let me give you an example of that. So, so when somebody <clears throat> dresses maybe... Um, I don't know, like a hipster or something like that, right? They're, they're, they're trying to dress different, right? Uh, they're trying to dress cool, right? They're, they're trying to look cool. They're trying to stand out. Don't get me wrong. They're trying to stand out, but they don't really want to stand out. They, they want to look cool. Or, or when somebody joins a punk rock band or somebody does their hair in a mohawk or, or dyes their hair, these are all attempts to stand out, but in an acceptable way. In a, in a cool way, in a way that we'd say, "Hey, that's different," but I kind of like that. Uh, and oftentimes, especially when it comes to this countercultural culture, what is standing out one month will very soon be actually normal and, and cool. And so, what what at first starts as different becomes normal. But there's another type of standing out. It's when something stands out like a sore thumb is a phrase we might use. When, when things make us feel uncomfortable or, or awkward and we don't really enjoy the situation, we, we, we kind of squirm a little bit. Sometimes we sweat and we, we want to get out because it, it, it just doesn't fight, quite fit with what's okay or normal or acceptable. I experienced this uh, back in the summer of 2011. I have a picture up here. Um, so you, you can guess which one is me. Uh, <laughs> So on the the left here, um, this is me from the summer of 2011. I I spent the summer in Vermont with a navigator uh, summer training program, kind of similar to the the challenge summer that you guys have going on here. And uh, I was in Vermont, which if you've been there, it's kind of a weird place, and I was kind of at a weird stage of life, and so I I let my hair grow out. I actually, so that, that tie-dye shirt I'm wearing, I made that. So I went and bought a deep white V and, uh, and I tie-dyed it myself. And this was my attempt to stand out. Now, I'm not gonna say I looked cool. I'm not, I don't think, I might've been going for that. I don't think it worked. But, but it's not like that weird. If you saw me in the street, you'd be like, whoa, dude's wearing a deep V tie-dye. That's kind of weird. But like, you wouldn't avoid me, right? You, you, it wouldn't be uncomfortable. But later that summer... I had an experience that, and uh, you can, t- that's kind of shocking. so. Um, <laughs> keep it in your mind, though, because it's going to help with this next story. So towards the end of the summer, uh, the place we were staying in Vermont was pretty close to the uh, Canadian border. And so a group of friends and I, we really wanted to go up to Canada before the summer was over. So, uh, but we didn't have a ton of time, so we just decided to do it in the middle of the night which is always a great idea. Uh, decisions made at 11 p.m. are just fantastic. So, so about 12 o'clock, we, we get in the car, we head towards Canada. We get to the border about 2 a.m. I'm wearing my tie-dye deep V, uh, and I'm wearing a beanie, and my eyes are a little bit bloodshot because I've been awake for a long time. And so if you've ever been to the border, you know that they have questions for you, such as, why are you coming to Canada? And um, they even asked me like, when did you decide to come to Canada? Which was really awkward. I was like, I think like three hours ago. <laughs> um, so they get to the point where they're asking about, you know, fruits and vegetables and alcohol. And he's like, hey, do you have any drugs? Which if I did, I would not tell you yes, but um, I didn't have any drugs. So I said no. And I, I even distinctly remember saying like, no, sir. I, w- I wanted to be respectful. And he looks at me and he says, you know, you look really stoned right now, Um, pull pull over, we're gonna search your car. Uh, And and maybe it was the the fact that it was 2 a.m., maybe it was that my answers about why I was coming to Canada weren't satisfactory. Probably part of it was the fact that I was wearing a deep V tie-dye and a beanie (laughs) and my eyes were bloodshot. But in that moment, I, I remember distinctly thinking like, man, I wish I didn't stand out so much. Like, I wish that I had thought through. I was nervous. I didn't know what this meant. And I didn't know, like, it was my friend's car. So, like, what if he does have drugs? Like, we're screwed. Uh, I I just remember thinking, like, man, I I wish that I I hadn't been so weird. I wish that I hadn't looked so different. I wish that I had put on a different shirt, that I had, you know, washed my face a little bit. I remember thinking, like, man, I just, I didn't want to stand out in this way. And I think when we talk about standing out as a Christian in an increasingly unchristian world we're not talking about the good kind of standing out we're not talking about the oh that's that's really cool that's probably going to be in next month we're talking about kind of the uncomfortable standing out the 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 awkward standing out the man i don't really fit in here and i don't know that anything i say or do can change that and so I, i think that is increasingly becoming the norm in, in our culture, on our college campuses, I see at UC Davis where the traditional values of Christianity are more and more on the outskirts, that they're, they're not okay anymore, they're not acceptable. To say that you believe in the Bible and that you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, those things aren't cool. Those things aren't normal. Those things do make you stand out and not in a good way. So I'm excited believe it or not. I'm excited that you guys are going through First Peter because I think that we need to hear that. I think we need to know that and to be aware of that. So we're going to be in chap- 1 Peter 5, and you guys have dealt with a lot already in 1 Peter. There's been some big topics, some, some controversy, some um, just hard-to-understand things. There's been, so, hopefully, some just really cool uh, things that have fired you guys up. What, what Peter does in chapter 5 is he, he brings his letter to a close, and he offers a few um, last thoughts. And um, if you, if you like, look up uh, like out, uh, commentaries or outlines, they'll say they're, they're exhortations, right? And I just, really quickly, I wanna explain what I mean by that. So an exhortation is not quite a command, but it's also more than a suggestion. All right, so in a couple weeks, we're bringing some students to a young life camp, uh, not too far from here, in Challenge. And last year, it snowed, and so, and UC Davis students, apparently, have never seen snow, so they weren't prepared. So this year, I'm telling them, hey, you have to bring a snow jacket. Now, it's not a command, so, like, if they show up without a jacket, I'm not going to, like, send them home, you know. Um, But it's also, it's not a suggestion, like, it's not just, like, Some good advice that you might want to take it's it's like a pretty big deal like it might snow you're going to be working outside like you need a jacket and I think that that's what Peter is closing with he's going to give us some some exhortations I'm going to call them just rules And, and they're they're really really good things and they're really important things they're not quite commands but they're also a lot more than suggestions And what I've done is I've I've kind of grouped some of these commands together, these rules together, and uh, I've basically given you guys some three rules that Peter talks about. And with each of the rules, I've given a warning. Um, And this is uh, to help us follow the the rules, the exhortations that Peter gives. I'm going to warn you about a few things that will sidetrack you as you try to apply these. So um, that's where we're heading, three rules, three warnings. Uh, I'm going to pray for our time, I'm going to ask God to, to open our eyes, uh, and then we are going to look at the text together. <clears throat> Father, I, I do count it as a a great privilege to be with this group of students. I count it a great privilege to be with this group um, uh, of, of staff and students that, that love you and that are seeking you and that want to know more about you and that would give up uh, their time on a Tuesday night to be here to sing and to to hear from your word. I think it's a great privilege and God I pray that you would honor um, their commitment to be here. I pray that you would speak through me. Uh, Lord would you open our eyes. We want to hear from you tonight not just from me. Um, Lord I think your word in first Peter has a lot to say to us. And so I ask that you would make it really clear and, and make it come alive, Lord. Would you make it really come alive um, and, and impactful for us? I pray that we would leave here, including me, I pray that we would leave here changed by your word. God, would you do this? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So if you guys have um, the handout, you can follow along. The, the verses are in there. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be, again, 1 Peter 5, and uh, we're going to be in verses 5 through 11. Now, I'm gonna spend uh, probably the majority of my time on this first rule. I think it's probably the most applicable and helpful, uh, and then we'll spend less time on the second two. So if you're like, man, he hasn't even finished the first one and I'm getting tired, don't worry, the, the second two will be a little, bit, a little bit shorter. So our first rule coming out of uh, 1 Peter 5, starting verse five, is to be humble. Be humble, and, and he gives two directions for this. Be humble before God and before others. Let me read the text. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So in, in 1 Peter 5, uh, verses one through four, right, right before our passage, he starts by addressing the elders. Uh, these would have been the leaders of the church. And he, and he tells these, these leaders, these elders, he says, hey, take really good care of the people in your church. Take really good care of them. He describes them as a flock, like a flock of sheep. He says, take really good care of them. Lead them well. Don't abuse them or bully them. <clears throat> and then in verse five, he switches and he says, okay, now you guys who are under the elders, you who are, are younger, who are, are looking up to them, be subject to them or submit to them. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I will say this. If if you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you're a part of this group, you're part of this ministry, hopefully also a part of a church here in the area, God has appointed leaders over you in those ministries. God God has put staff and leaders and elders in those churches, in this ministry, to care for you, to teach you, to shepherd you, to lead you, to point you in the right direction. Guys, make their job easy. Okay, that's what Peter is trying to say here. Make their job easy. Don't be rebellious, contentious, argumentative, trust them. God put them there for a reason. Listen to them. Follow their advice. Now, I'm not saying that we should just follow leaders blindly. Turn on the news and you'll see that so many leaders have fallen recently that it's not wise to just trust anybody because they have a title. But in as much as you trust that God has appointed those leaders, those staff, those elders over you, make their job easy. Make them, make their job joyful, be a joy to lead. You're welcome, Paul. <laughs> Notice what he does next, right? So he, he finishes the elders, the, young, the younger people. He shifts. He says, then all of you, everyone, clothe yourself with humility. So this command is not specific to the old or to the young. He's, he's kind of done with the distinctions. He's saying, everybody... When you interact with each other, when when you talk to each other, when you act around each other, do so with humility. So students come and they interact with staff and they interact with humility. Staff come and interact with with you guys as students and and they interact with humility. I come as a guest speaker, you guys don't know me, I, I act with humility. Everybody, clothe yourselves with humility now uh, the question is well okay great what does that look like right I don't like wake up in the morning and I humility's in my closet let me you know pull that one out today what what does that look like how how do we clothe ourselves with humility I got um, a verse and a quote for you that I think will help unpack this idea Um, probably my favorite verse in thinking about humility comes from Philippians chapter 2 so uh, I didn't put this in the notes Um, feel free to write it down or remember you can look it up Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this. It says, Do nothing, so nothing at all, like no thing, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In humility count others as more significant than yourself. So what does it look like to put on humility? It means that we think about the other person more than we think about ourselves. It means that they are now more important than me and my interests. It means that I'm looking out for what's best for them and not just what's best for me. And this is hard. If you've ever tried to do this, this is hard. I used to think that I was bad at remembering people's names. Anybody relate with that? No. Sorry, this is gonna hurt. I had an older navigator tell me one time. He said, you know the problem, Kevin, uh, is that it's not your memory, um, it's, it's that you're selfish and vain. <laughs> and I was like, he said, if, if you spend more time thinking about the other person than about how you're coming across, you'd have no problem remembering their name. The problem is, you go into that conversation, all you're thinking about is you. All you're thinking about is how you're coming across and how they're perceiving you. Learn to think about them their name will come really easy. You guys, I found that to be true, which sucks because that means he was right about my selfishness and vain conceit. Humility means that we think more about others than we do about ourselves. Here's a quote to kind of go along with it. This, hopefully some of you guys have heard this before. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis, fantastic quote. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man he will be what most people call humble nowadays. And okay, so, so picture this, picture you're meeting somebody and, and you perceive that they are humble. He says, if you, if you meet a really humble man, don't think that he'll be like what most people call humble. He won't be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Oh, I, I'm not that good, I'm, I'm not that smart, I'm not that handsome. He says, probably all of you will think about him, probably all that you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, Intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He won't be thinking of himself at all. How do you tell that somebody's humble? It's not because they're thinking about humility or trying to be humble. They're not thinking about themselves at all. They're thinking about you. They're thinking about other people around them. If you wanna put on humility towards others, we have to learn to think about others first and not just ourselves. Don't focus on becoming more humble, focus on others and you will become humble. And I promise you, you will stand out. What about humility before God? Uh, Verses six and seven, right? He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. To humble yourself before God is a little bit different than than humility before people. It is to submit yourself to him completely. It is to willingly put yourself under his rule and his reign to entrust yourself to him, to lay your life under his hands and say, God, your will be done, not my will. It is to let go of the control that you think you have over your own life. And notice verse seven. I think this is particularly important for college students. It says, part of humbling yourself under God's mighty hand is letting go of worry and anxiety. Okay, so no, notice in the text, he, he actually, he connects casting your anxiety on God with humbling yourself before God. So as college students, I, I know, like you always have something to be anxious about, right? How, how'd that midterm go? Did I, did I study enough for that final does that girl in my chem class like me? <laughs> what am I gonna do when I graduate? What will my parents think about me joining a Christian club? Can I afford to go on the spring break trip? Can I afford rent next, next month? You've gotten so used to anxiety that it has become background noise and you don't really notice it until maybe it gets so severe that you, you have a panic attack. But have you ever considered what anxiety tells you about your heart and about your view of God? Have you ever thought about that? What what does anxiety say about you and about your beliefs and your convictions? Worry and anxiety says that you can't trust God, so you have to trust yourself. God won't take care of you, you have to take care of yourself. One commentary I read went as far as to say that worry is a form of pride because it involves taking concerns upon ourself instead of entrusting them to God. When we worry and fret, we're not trusting God, we're trusting ourselves, which leads me to the first warning. If you are to be humble before God, if you are to be humble before others, you have to beware of pride. You have to be beware of pride. Now, most of you probably could have filled that gap in on your own. Most of you would have thought like, yeah, the opposite of humility, is pride, but I wanna be really careful how I define pride, because I think you'll find it's a lot more common than you realize. See, I'm not talking about cockiness or arrogance. Even the world despises that type of pride. I'm talking about the type of pride that elevates oneself above everything else. I'm talking about pride that makes you the most important thing in the world rather than God or others. See, pride is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And guys, this is as natural in our world as breathing. This is as natural as breathing. And if you don't believe me, I I went on Amazon today and I pulled off just a couple titles from the bestseller list. These are these are books that are selling like hot cakes on Amazon right now. Okay? Listen to these titles. You are a badass. How to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. The subtle art of not giving an F. A counterintuitive approach to living a good life. Best self. Be you, only better. (laughs) These are two that have been selling a lot recently by a girl named Rachel Hollis. Girl, wash your face. Stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you were. Meant to be. Girl, stop apologizing. A shame-free plan for embracing and achieving your goals. Because these books have the same message. Believe in yourself, trust yourself, you are awesome, and don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. The Bible says it's not true. Don't trust yourself, you're not awesome, you're not a badass. <laughs> The Bible says that you're a sinner who's in need of a savior. The Bible says that God doesn't help those who help themselves, but God helps those who trust and submit to him. In fact, Peter says here that he actually opposes the proud. That means that God will stop the proud person from getting what the proud person wants. The proud person wants for the self to be elevated, and God says, I'm not going to let that happen. God will not put up with that. The world says that you are the most important person in your life and in the world, and this is at the heart of pride. So beware. Beware pride and and fight to be humble before God and before others. I promise you, you'll stand out. I promise you, you'll stand out. Not always in a good way. Second rule that, that Peter gives us here, verses eight and nine, says, be spiritually vigilant. Be spiritually vigilant. And, and this, this again takes two forms, internal and external. So be vigilant internally and be vigilant externally. Verses eight and nine say this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. To be vigilant and to be spiritually vigilant is to be on guard. It's to be to be watchful, to be looking out for dangers or distractions. It is to be careful and intentional in the way that you live. Now, internally, this means that we should know the state of our heart and our affections. We need to know ourselves and know ourselves well. And and I'm speaking specifically to those who would call themselves Christian. Christian, you need to know yourself. You need to know when you're doing well and you need to know when you're not doing well. This is what it means to be sober-minded. It means think clearly about yourself. Ask yourself right now, do you love God? really love him not just not just in words but is your heart moved towards affection for him do you love others is is there sin in your life that's distracting you from following jesus are you believing the gospel or do you doubt it is your faith burdensome and weary or is it joyful and hopeful to be sober-minded means to think clearly and to be honest with yourself. Don't tell yourself everything is fine if it's not fine. Don't be distracted by the, the, the fleeting emotions, fickle feelings that come and distract you. Know yourself well. Be sober-minded. Keep close watch of your own heart. This is what it means to be internally vigilant. To be externally vigilant means that we have to first recognize that we have a real enemy, an adversary, the devil, who's also known as Satan. Now, even just saying that in a, in a college classroom with college students feels a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? I mean, really, Paul, you invited the guest speaker to talk about Satan? Honestly, to, say, to even say today that you actually believe in Satan, that already makes you stand out. That already makes you a little bit weird, doesn't it? But as Christians, we not only believe that the devil is real, we also believe that he is active in the world today. He has one job and one job only. In John 10, Jesus contrasts himself with the devil. And he says, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy You see, Satan wants nothing less than for us to suffer and ultimately for us to abandon God. He wants to cause pain. He wants to steal joy. He wants to rob you of hope and he will do whatever it takes to accomplish that, which is why Peter says he is like a roaring lion seeking to devour. So what does spiritual vigilance look like? If this is reality, which the Bible says it is, what, what do we do about that? How do we stand against that? Peter says, resist him. Re- resist him. Whatever he throws at you, resist it. Don't listen to his lies. Don't fall for his ploys. Stand firm in your faith. Don't move. Cling to your faith, right? Cling to what you know to be true. Plant your feet firmly and don't move no matter what. Resist him. Don't let your sin turn your eyes away from Jesus. Don't let lies distract you from the truth. Keep your gaze fixed on Jesus. Be spiritually vigilant. And the warning that comes with this is to beware spiritual passivity. There is no middle ground. Either you are being vigilant or you are being passive. Passivity here is the opposite of vigilance. To be passive is to simply let things happen without any response or resistance. It is to do what feels good rather than what we know to be right in the moment. To be passive is to live for the moment with no thought of the consequences in the future. You see, Peter describes the devil as a roaring lion looking around for somebody to devour. Think about that metaphor for just a second. Imagine a lion on the prowl. Who does he go for first? Well, he goes for the easy target. That's who he goes for. He he goes for the sick or the lame or the lethargic or the oblivious or the ignorant. He goes for the Christian that doesn't even actually think that he's real. If you are spiritually passive, ignorant, weak and unaware in your faith, the devil will pick you off before you even know what happened. So we, we can't be passive as Christians. We have to be vigilant. Now, a couple of simple applications. I want, I want to really put some flesh on this idea. These are not going to be new or shocking, but these are just some really simple things to keep you spiritually visit, vigilant. The first is, is this. Guys, make it a priority to meet with God every day. And, and you know what I mean by that. Make it a priority to open your Bible, to read what God is saying to you, and to pray in response to him. Now, every day it's not going to look perfect. Some days it's going to look messy. Some days you're going to snooze that alarm 20 times and it just won't happen. But make it a priority to meet with God every day. This will keep you grounded in the truth. It will keep you firm in your faith and connected to Jesus. And it will, I promise you, it will make the enemy so much less likely to bring you down. The second is this, and you guys are already putting this one into practice, is surround yourself with Christian community. Surround yourself with Christian community. It is so much harder for the enemy to get you if you travel in a pack. It's easier to be vigilant because when I'm in a group and I start to lag behind, I have somebody kick my butt and get me going again. So make it a priority to meet with God and and never stop surrounding yourself with Christian community. Be humble, be spiritually vigilant. And lastly, <clears throat> be steadfast, be steadfast. And, and what I mean by this is to endure and to hope. Verse 10 says this, it says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter's last exhortation is to hold on. Wait a little bit. Be steadfast. Don't don't move. Relief is coming, but not yet. Hold on. Guys, suffering is hard. I hope that you've heard that. First Peter talks so much about suffering. Suffering is hard. And if anybody tries to tell you that suffering is not hard, they haven't suffered truly. Suffering is hard. And our natural response to suffering is to seek relief. And as, as Christians, we're told to expect suffering. Suffering comes from the world when they, they persecute us or scoff at us or make fun of us. Suffering comes from the enemy, tempting us to sin, deceiving us, accusing us, lying to us. Suffering comes from within us, from our own sin, deceiving us, tempting us to rebel against God. And guys, for some of us, suffering comes from your family and your friends who want nothing to do with your Christian faith. There are probably people in this room that have a hard time going home because their parents don't like their Christian Suffering comes from a lot of places. And again, our natural response is to, to seek relief, to, to, to do or say something that might make the suffering go away just for a little bit. Peter says, don't. 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 Try to seek relief. Yes, suffering is hard, but don't, don't run away from it. Guys, that's the theme of this, one of the themes of this whole letter. Guys, Jesus suffered while he was on earth, and his followers should expect to suffer with him but suffering is never the goal right suffering is not the end suffering is only a means to the end i've seen people take it too far i've seen people seek out suffering as if somehow suffering is holy it's not it's not to be desired it's not the goal yes jesus suffered and died but then he rose from the dead Guys, I I just always, I have to say this, people don't raise from the dead. So when we say that Jesus raised from the dead, that is truly a crazy statement. And the fact that we actually believe that makes us weird. (laughs) Jesus suffered and died and he rose from the dead and he is exalted. And Peter says, put your faith in that guy who, who went through more suffering than we will ever know or experience, but who's now risen and exalted living in eternal joy. Peter says, be steadfast, endure and hope because that's what's coming for us too. Hope has been another major theme in this letter. I I recently memorized uh, chapter one, verse 13, where he says, to set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. And now here again, at the close of this letter, he says, Wait for what's coming, wait for what is coming. Put your hope in what is coming but is not yet here. You'll suffer now for a little while and then God will come and when he comes, he'll restore, confirm, strengthen, establish. He will make all things right. Suffering will have been worth it because it will result in glory, the same glory that Jesus was given when he rose from the dead. The suffering, Paul says in Romans eight, will pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed when Christ returns. Suffering is temporary. So be steadfast, endure, and hope. But waiting is hard, isn't it? In our culture today in particular, we we, we suck at waiting, don't we? Because I recently paid $5 more for a book on Amazon because I wanted it in two days rather than in four days. Like waiting, waiting is hard. Everything in our culture is now, it's instant. But the call to be a Christian is a call to wait. And while we're waiting, we need to beware of worldliness. <clears throat> we need to be beware worldliness. And here's what I mean by that. Worldliness says that the most important thing is what happens right here, right now on earth. That is what matters most. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. What you wear, your, your grades, the job that you get, how much money you make, the person you marry, how many kids you have, where you live, what you drive. Those questions, right? Those, those permeate our world, those, those drive our world, our culture. Worldliness says that these things are what matters. This is reality, this is what's important, this is what's worth living for. These are the things that matter. Peter and the Bible say, no, don't, don't fall for that. Don't, don't get distracted by that. Be willing to stand out and live differently. Don't, don't get caught up in these temporary things that this world has to offer. And, and guys, trust me, they are temporary. They are very temporary. Peter says, put all of your hope in what's coming. That means put none of your hope in what's here. Put all of your hope in the grace that will be given when Jesus returns. Be willing to embrace the suffering that will inevitably come and reject worldliness. Now, the world will be shocked when you live as if those things are not important, when you reject worldliness. The world will be shocked when you live differently. They'll be shocked when you live humbly You'll be shocked when you're spiritually vigilant rather than passive, when you're steadfast in the midst of suffering. You will stand out. You will be a strong light in a very dark place. But I I wanna end with this. And I've alluded to it a couple of times, but I wanna end with this. Guys, we will not stand out for long. Do you know that? We won't stand out for long. Look at how he finishes this section. In, In verse 11, he says, to him, that is God, Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen, or so be it. May it be done. You see, he's he's contrasting this with what he just said about suffering. He says, suffering is for a little while. God's dominion is forever and ever. Yes, Christian, you are in exile in the world today. Yeah, we are outcasts, we don't belong, we stand out. Yes, all of those things are true. But our suffering is only for a little while. The day will come when Jesus will return and he will reign forever and ever. And those who have humbled themselves will be exalted. Those who have suffered will be rewarded with glory. Our suffering will pale in comparison so so here's, here's what I want to leave you guys with. And I think you guys are finishing 1 Peter. Um, and I, I hope that you, you come back to this book for, for the rest of your life and remember some of these themes that have been brought out. I want to leave with this. Standing out is hard. Standing out is hard. And we have to be willing to reject the world's values and standards and live differently and not the good kind of differently but it will be worth it. It will all be worth it. And others will hate you for it. They will. There will be people that will look at you and say, you don't belong here. And and they're right. But you know, there will be those who look at you and say, man, I want what you have. This this world's not doing it. I'm not, I don't see the satisfaction that this world has to offer. I, I want what you have. People will be drawn to your hope. They will be drawn to the peace and to the joy, the love that you have for one another. They will be drawn to humility. Guys, when, when, when a, uh, somebody meets a truly humble person, you know that, that they're so attractive. I don't wanna be around people that exude that. Your commitment to these things will shine forth. And though some will hate as they hated Jesus, they will not be able to deny the power of God that's within you. I hope that that's true for this group. Let me pray. Father, I do really want that. God, as as, as much as I know it will be painful and it will be hard and it will hurt, I want this group to stand out. I want them to say yes to you. I want them to choose to live for you, to, to be a Christian light in an un- increasingly unchristian world. And God, I, I pray that you would strengthen them for that. Uh, God, I pray for these, these things, these, these rules that Peter gives us. Um, I pray that they would be true of all of us. Even tonight, Lord, would you begin to uh, shift and change our hearts that we might be more humble before God and others that we might be spiritually vigilant both of our own lives, our own hearts, and of the world around us. Lord, would you give us eyes to see the enemy's actions that we might resist him? And God, I pray that you would give us a hope an endurance and a perseverance that allows us to last no matter what comes. And God, we we, as a group, we long for the day when you come back and when you restore and you strengthen, you establish, and your kingdom will reign forever and ever. God, we long for that day. We ask that it might come soon. God, thank you for this group. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.